Welcome to Mid-South Menu. I'm your host, Georgia Coles, and as a Memphian, I think our region's food culture is so rich yet so underrated. Memphis truly reflects a commitment to an artisanal view of the food and drink crafted here. I have interviewed industry professionals and experts in their craft to get their perspectives on everything from gourmet coffee to Firestone beer to barbecue competition culture. I hope to share all this with you. Memphis's culinary offerings are unique and unparalleled, offering a wide variety of artisanal products. Join me on a tour unpacking the art and science of the 901's food and drink culture, Memphis's best, the Mid-South Menu. My goal with this podcast is for each episode to answer engaging questions you may have always had about the craft and creation of high quality food and drink. Thus, at the beginning of each episode, I'll name a few questions you can trust will be answered by the end. This episode focuses on coffee roasting with John Pittman. John Pittman is co-owner and roast master at Jay Brooks Coffee Roasters, offering premium coffee selections with an open-minded view on learning the art and science of brewing coffee and treating others the way you want to be treated through coffee. In this episode, we'll answer questions like, what makes specialty coffee specialty? Flavor-wise, how does a light roast impact coffee versus a dark roast? And what kind of flavors are possible through a coffee bean? With me today is John Pittman of Jay Brooks Premium Coffee Roasters based here in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining me, John. Thanks for having me. So yeah, we are actually in-house at the roastery right now. Smells very strongly of coffee, (laughs) which is a wonderful atmosphere. I just want to start out by asking, what was the process of the coffee roasters founding? I am bivocational. I have been in ministry my whole adult life and I work in a non-traditional setting. And I don't draw a salary from the folks that I work with. And so I ended up working in coffee to supplement our income. I originally did a project for a friend overseas as a product scout at a coffee convention and conference uh, that was here in the States back in 2006. I had a blast. He got what he needed. Prior to that, I knew absolutely zero about coffee. I drank a lot of coffee, but it was the very low-grade stuff, and I didn't know that there was just so much to the world of coffee. So I did that project for him and ended up just really getting excited about the coffee industry. And a couple of months later, connected with some guys here in Memphis, uh, started doing some part-time work with them. I started out as a delivery driver, believe it or not, but I was always drawn to roasting. And after a little while, they needed somebody as a roaster and I was keen to get into it. So that was my entry into coffee roasting. Having been to seminary, I've learned to research and I'm a kind of a self-teacher. I like to read and learn and discover. So I did a lot of reading on various things in the coffee industry initially about roasting because I had a lot to learn and I was trying to make sure I didn't ruin the products that I was handling. And it was just kind of, kind of became a rabbit hole for me, but just so much fun. The more I would learn, the more I would realize there's more to learn. And it just unfolded more and more. And it was a very exciting process for me. I loved doing it. So that's how I got into coffee roasting. I was working for a different company at that time. Uh, that was in 2006, 7, 8, 9. They ended up selling 
and we very quickly, some of us very quickly became redundant. So I had a coworker there. He and I basically dreamed and prayed for a year and figured there was still a market for specialty coffee in the Mid-South. So we started Jay Brooks and wow. kind of uh, have been on a, a pretty uh, aggressive learning <laughs> curve ever since. So wow. it's kind of a summary of our story. That's very exciting. The research part, especially, uh, I connect with that as someone who is also very naturally drawn to research. I research virtually everything. Mm -hmm. What was that process like for you? I don't know where to find like roasting instructionals. How, how does that work? <laughs> well, there's an awful lot on the internet, of course, as you would expect. I had an advantage in a sense that I didn't realize at the time, but having my introduction to the specialty coffee, well, to coffee, my introduction to coffee was specialty coffee. So I got the treat of kind of starting at the top in terms of my my learning resources. Being at the conference, it's the Specialty Coffee Association. They have a convention every year, very large trade organization. But the folks that present there are recognized experts in their fields. Uh, they are the folks that really do know what's going on. The trendsetters, the, the industry leaders in terms of research. Uh, the Specialty Coffee Association has a division called the Coffee Quality Institute, so they are devoted to research and, and uh, they produce white papers and other books and things. So that's where I started. Because I was exposed to those guys, I would look for the articles they had in magazines back when people still used to read paper <laughs> magazines. Uh, Roast Magazine in particular was a fantastic resource for me. Uh, also just talking with other roasters. There's a lot of networking in the coffee world and I made some friends at that first show and then subsequent shows I went to. You just network, you make connections. And coffee roasters don't typically get into each other's you know, private notes and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't share proprietary secrets, but there's a lot that we share in common. And so as you, as you talk with each other, you kind of sharpen each other, you learn things. And being a newbie, I was mm -hmm. just soaking up everything I could. I started to see some overlap between some of the leaders in the field and some of the things they were publishing. For me, that was kind of the starting block. And then from there, uh, it's a lot of experimentation. You roast and cup and roast and cup and roast and cup and roast and cup. Anybody, a musician, a mm -hmm. chef, anybody who works with something as an artisan is going to tell you that there's just countless hours of time invested in whatever your craft is. It's just a lot of experimentation. Some of those experiments go really well, some not so much, but you learn from every single experience you have and you kind of file that away and it becomes part of your mental library and part of your learning curve that either sets you on a good trend or uh, unfolds other areas of research and, and learning and things that you can do. No, that's very fascinating, especially from that artisanal perspective. When I've talked with other I guess artisans or craftsmen of their field, there seems to be so much pride involved. And I don't even mean that in a negative sense, right. but like right. when you put in all of that effort of research and experimentation, communication, artistry, and, and it seems to really lead to a lot of like job satisfaction that you wouldn't mm. get from like a standard nine to five. Yeah. Shifting towards your perspective on roasting since uh, Jay Brooks founding in 2010, how has that shifted over the past 12 years? My current philosophy is the result of 
a lot of these experiences we're talking about, but it's also informed by the length of time that I've been in the industry. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people in the specialty industry that have been working with coffee and promoting coffee excellence for way longer than I've been in it. We've now been, I've been in coffee now uh, for over 16 years. And so my perspective has developed over the years in kind of a different way because of how I got started. I was working for a company and when I started working for them, I was just really ignorant. I just didn't know a whole lot and didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, and so I was wide open. I didn't really have any bias or prejudice because I had nothing on which to base such a thing. And so yeah. I was wide open like a sponge, soaking everything up. And uh, the guys that I worked with were also really down to earth. Uh, you know, you'll often hear people say, well, I'm a coffee snob and whatever. But, and, and I get what they say and I appreciate their, their devotion to coffee and their enjoyment of it. But what you find is coffee is a very humbling medium to work with. So I say that to say that when I got into the coffee industry, I was working around people that had really down-to-earth attitudes and their approach was let's learn. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel like they already knew everything. They weren't proud in the negative sense of being unteachable. And so as a result, that really stimulates your excitement and your willingness to try new things and be open to ideas that, um, that you might not otherwise experience. And so with me, it was kind of wide open. So in one sense, that's still my philosophy today. It's, I don't have a bias that prevents me from saying, well, I'm not gonna try that roast level or I don't like that coffee or whatever. That doesn't really feature in our thinking. Uh, instead, we've tried to preserve an openness. You know, minds are like parachutes. They don't really function well unless they're open. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of our, our perspective. So we're willing to listen to anybody. We're, we're willing to taste pretty much anything because uh, it's always a point in your learning journey. My appreciation of the younger generation that has kind of grown up since we got into the industry has grown tremendously. There are guys running circles around me and, and what we're doing, and I really respect that. We have kind of an established philosophy here, but we also want to continue learning. So we're, we're not trying to be stuck in the past in terms of specifics. What I would say has been consistent since we launched is our openness to learning and our willingness to try various coffees and various roast levels and things like that. But at the same time, we try to promote an openness, kind of an open source mentality. And that's really fitting in the coffee industry. Here in Memphis, a lot of us local roasters have a great relationship. We get together every now and then and, and just have a good chin wag and enjoy catching up and talking shop and things like that. We laugh a lot. And that's kind of common in coffee. There's not a lot of stiff arm kind of attitude in the specialty industry because we help each other learn. And, and we don't really see each other as competitors. We see each other more as uh, co-workers or co uh, as partners because we're not trying to steal one another's customers we're trying to help educate folks about the beauties of excellent coffee and so when somebody stops drinking the the really low-end stuff mm -hmm. and starts enjoying a really stellar cup of coffee then we all boats rise you know and that's it's kind of unique in coffee it's it's different than a lot of other not necessarily everybody but it's different than a lot of other industries 
because there's a, an attitude of networking and sharing that gets fostered. Coffee really is relational, and that even applies to those of us that own the businesses and have our own brand or our, our own angle or our own personality and style that comes through in our products. But we still, we enjoy each other. And so in terms of how we have developed, we've really, at Jay Brooks, we've really tried to embrace the newcomers in Memphis and encourage them and support them. We've got a lot, of, lot to learn from them and they challenge me. Uh, and I hope that I can do the same for them. But there, there's a lot of friendship there and that's a good thing. So the coffee community has grown. Um, the openness has grown. This weekend there's a coffee expo here in Memphis oh. where everybody comes together and shares their coffees and it's open to the public. It's just a lot of excitement, great event. Uh, and that's really typical of, I think, the coffee scene, mm -hmm. uh, the coffee culture in Memphis now. So in answer to your question, how have we developed? We've stayed true to our original principles. We want to be open-minded. We want to learn. We want to try new coffees, new roast levels. But at the same time, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be open to learning or you're going to end up getting left behind and staying in the past. Mm -hmm. So we, part of that is just really listening to our customers hmm. and finding out what people really enjoy. Because my job as a roaster is based on being able to supply something to folks that really excites them and uh, that they get excited about, about drinking. So. I'd, I'd love to learn more about Memphis's coffee culture mm -hmm. from your perspective, and that could be relating to the roasters or mm -hmm. relating to the just the community of coffee drinkers, people yeah. who want to try the products and learn. A couple of things uh, that are really cool about the Memphis coffee community. One is it's growing by leaps and bounds, and that is fantastic. We have a great relationship in Memphis, those of us that roast, and we try to help each other out when we can, when, when we hit a snag or need to borrow a product or something. There's just a lot of openness and a lot of a spirit of helping each other out, uh, and that's awesome. And that, that just that builds on itself mm -hmm. as people practice interdependence and a sense of community that spills over and it really sends a message to the public at large. So one thing is the coffee culture is just booming here and we've got a long way to go but there are more shops popping up, there are more people roasting now than there were five and seven and ten years ago and all of those are good things. We really, all of us really embrace that and we welcome it and so that's a really positive thing. Another thing that's really nice about the Memphis coffee culture is people are getting educated about the beauties of coffee and the different facets of, of coffee culture. So people are experimenting with brewing methods. They're getting informed about the nuances of coffee. So we will have somebody, we have people stop by every single day to our roastery here to buy coffee. And that often leads to conversations. People have a lot of questions. What do you do with this coffee? How do you roast that? What are the, what are the attributes of this origin? And it just gets conversations going and people are talking and the more we can talk and educate, the more people are invested in it and then it builds momentum that then produces more excited people for coffee. And so that's another thing that I've seen in, in Memphis is people are, you know, sometimes people want to kind of not be proud of Memphis or kind of throw shade on us like, well, you're a big small town and all that. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a good thing yeah, because it preserves a feeling and a, a sense of community, a, sense, a relational vibe. Mm -hmm. that we really enjoy here. We, we don't try to get to be such a big city that we're, we're distant from each other. And so as people grow and learn in coffee, it just kind of builds on itself. 
and that's pretty engaging, but it's also exciting because that, I mean, that helps us too. Because the more people get educated, the more they'll they'll realize, oh, you guys, you really are producing a stellar product, and this really is what I'm paying for. And I think all the roasters in town are really promoting that that mm-hmm. idea that there's just so much to coffee. And so it's cool to see people embracing that, learning about it, and then embracing it and kind of running with it. So yeah. There's so a, there's a lot going on. What do you especially enjoy teaching people about coffee? Oh, man. All the things. <laughs> <laughs> there's There are a lot of common questions, just mm-hmm. the, the standard questions that we get. Um, a lot of it has to do with caffeine content. Should I roast my own coffee at home? How long does coffee stay fresh? Mm-hmm. Those are the, the probably the most common questions we get. What's your favorite? Brewing method is another one. There's a lot of pieces to coffee culture that foster questions on the part of people. And so I like being able to speak to a situation that people are curious about. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I Oftentimes what I can do is give my perspective and expose people to the different opinions that they'll encounter mm-hmm. and then try to tell them sometimes some of the pros and cons of those as we see them. Sometimes just it's encouraging people to really be open about their preferences and resources that they find and how to evaluate those resources. I'm not a fan of telling people what they should think Mm -hmm. uh, or what they should like in coffee. I'm a fan of exposing people to all the beautiful possibilities and then letting them experiment with that until they find what they like in terms of a roast level, in terms of maybe a particular origin, in terms of how they brew it. Mm -hmm. There are just so many factors involved in, in enjoying a nice cup of coffee that uh, some people kind of get intimidated by that and they're like, just give me a cup of coffee. (laughs) But a lot of folks are really getting excited about uh, what they do in their own homes Mm -hmm. or what they experience in a nice coffee shop. And when they bring that level of not only excitement but information, when they come as an informed customer to a coffee shop, that's generally appreciated by the people at the shop because now it's kind of like, there, there's this sense of affirmation, like here's an informed customer, they know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. and now they see past the surface level stuff that's going on at this roastery, at this coffee shop, and they see, wow, we, they, they are aware of the kind of work it takes and the time it takes and the quality that's, that's involved here. So when it comes to me teaching people about coffee, I never get tired of talking about the basics, mm-hmm. but uh, typically if somebody has a, a particular thing that they're researching at that point or that they're asking questions about then we just take it and we run with it but I'm also very free to admit you know I'm outside my swim lane here you know <laughs> like I'm not a barista for example mm-hmm. so somebody will, will ask me for advice about pulling shots on their uh, their breville or their Jura espresso machine at home and I'll say well here are some of the standard things that you'll find but this is a starting point and then from there you can experiment like this, you can adjust your dosage, you can adjust your grind size, and I can, I can talk to them about some of the things that they can play with, but I don't pontificate about it. It's not like, well, here's the right way, or, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm, I'm not a barista, and I'll often point people, well, go talk to these guys, they can help you get that dialed in a little bit better. It helps to know your limits, but typically, if you just take time for people, they really appreciate that, mm-hmm. and then if you have something worthwhile to share they appreciate it even more you know 
and then that kind of again it builds momentum which yeah. fosters a beautiful community so kind of getting more to the actual roasting process that goes on here mm -hmm. i'd love to learn more about the actual art and science of that what does the process of roasting and selling these blends entail oh, i know that's a much. very big question <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that is a big question it's a very good question coffee is a pretty complex beverage. Mm -hmm. It's a complex item. To begin with, it's the second largest commodity globally by volume mm. after only crude oil. I was going to ask the first. <laughs> yeah. um, I always thought it'd be sugar, tea, corn, yeah. flour, something. But coffee, there's more coffee by volume globally than anything else other than crude oil. So the coffee industry is it's massive. Mm -hmm. As a result, there is so much going on in each part of the process from seed to cup and even pre-seed, you know, just in terms of the farmers at origin, how they take care of their land, how they expand their potential and their volume for growing, how they care for their families, what support they have in their communities, how they can manage their business side in terms of financing and sales and supply chain issues and all of that. Um, then there's the, the more operational side of the mill, trans, you know, getting your pickers to pick the products, get it, getting it to mill for processing, getting it to export and then import and then to the roaster, and then from the roaster to the end user, either mm -hmm. uh, from of people consuming at home or supplying wholesale to coffee shops and restaurants and offices who desire a higher end product. So it's a really complex phenomenon to consider coffee. So it is a very big question, but I'll kind of narrow the field and say, if somebody's keen to, to chase those things down, we can certainly talk more about each of those areas. My role as a roaster is to source quality beans. We do only specialty grade beans and so that represents the last statistic that I had from several years ago is that specialty coffee comprises the top seven and a half percent of coffee globally and we buy only specialty grade coffee. So coffee is graded according to quality just like many many other products both food and otherwise. Uh, you have kind of a, a conventional pound of coffee mm -hmm. that is the basis for the sea market price, which is what's traded in the commodities exchange on a minute-by-minute minute basis <laughs> every day. You get sub-conventional, which is the really low-grade stuff that has foreign matter and debris and different things in it, and there's a market for that. But basically, you have a conventional pound of coffee, and that's what is the basis for the C market price and then you have various levels of quality above that in the conventional zone and then you go to premium and then you finally got specialty or gourmet quality which is basically zero defect quality especially coffee has to be grown at least at a thousand meters the the increased altitude uh, allows the the harvest season to extend a little longer it takes longer for the coffee to ripen so the flavor compounds have more time to develop uh, and so to begin with, we only do specially grade coffee. So as a roaster, uh, and then generally, especially coffee is Arabica. There are some specialty certification processes going on now for Robusta in very controlled environments. Robusta traditionally does not have as much flavor. It does have more caffeine, but it also makes a great crema. And so baristas love to use a little bit of Robusta in their 
espresso so that they get a better crema, they can do better art and things like that with it. And that's kind of a, a thing in the specialty world. And so there are now some certification processes in place for Robusta as well. But my job as a roaster is to source the highest quality coffees. And then I get them in house, I experiment with them, roast them, cup them, and find a sweet spot for that coffee and then make those available to the public. Every roaster has their own preferences, their own styles, mm -hmm. and their own boundaries, uh, what they'll use and what they won't, whether they will blend or not, whether they will do varying kinds of roast levels or just uh, restrict it to a light. A lot of people in specialty now will only do a, a light roast. We stretch that out a little bit. We also do some mediums and some darks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I'm quite at peace with that. There are folks in my industry that kind of look at me with the stank eye because they say, well, we're burning our coffee or we're trying to be XYZ well-known uh, coffee brand that mm -hmm. uh, has a reputation for whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, but that's really not the case. In answer to your question, what does it take to produce a coffee product or a blend? We look at the properties of the bean and we try to let those bloom or blossom in the roasting process. Some coffees perform really well at the light roast. And in, in the light zone, you get a, the broadest possible um, amount of flavor possibilities. But the, the sugars in the bean, coffee's a fruit, so those sugars produce the nice, what's known as acidity, or the fruit characteristics of that cup. As you roast the bean darker, those sugars begin to caramelize. And so the body creams out more you move in sort of a narrowing direction, mm -hmm. your number of flavor possibilities in terms of the fruit characteristics begin to diminish, but the body deepens because you're, you're caramelizing those sugars. And so we try to promote that openness uh, to experiment with different roast levels with our clientele and people enjoy it, they love it. Our number one seller is a medium, our number mm -hmm. two post is uh, in constant uh, conflict between one of our lights and one of our dark roasts. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that there's a really diverse population here mm -hmm. locally that is drinking coffee. And they've been exposed to all of it, and folks know what they like. And so that kind of informs my headspace as I'm thinking about what a customer will like, what do they want to spend their money on. That's not the only factor. There are people, there, there are aspects of the coffee industry and coffee products that I don't particularly enjoy and I don't want to offer something that I'm not going to enjoy or that I think our customers are not going to enjoy. So we all have our boundaries, we all have our, our preferences and things like that, which is totally appropriate. It Basically what that does is creates each individual roaster's own style or or their, uh, their preferences, the things that make them unique. And so from that point, we play with those coffees, we experiment with them, we kind of discern what they're willing to do and what they're not willing to do, and then uh, sometimes we'll offer those as a single origin. That coffee uh, does really nicely on its own. Sometimes we'll blend that with something else. Many years ago, uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, blending coffees was a way to cover up a poor quality bean with a nicer quality bean to save money. And so the hope, uh, and not everybody did that, but that was <laughs> often the case, especially in the conventional coffee world, uh, and you still see that to some degree with some of the very well-known quote-unquote brand names in coffee, not in terms of company, but the particular regions mm -hmm. uh, that are commonly known among people. Legally, for example, a Kona blend uh, only has to have a very small percentage of actual Kona coffee in that bag to be able to legally wear the, the name Kona blend. And that's kind of unfortunate, in my opinion. But 
people in the know realize that Kona is actually an excellent coffee. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm saying that legally that company is allowed to, and I'm not saying everybody does this, <laughs> so please don't hear this as a criticism, but I'm just saying legally, neutrally, if somebody produces a Kona blend, they're allowed to put pretty much anything they want as long as it's a coffee with that Kona. And it might be 10% Kona and 90% something else, but they're getting some mileage out of having the name Kona Mm -hmm. on their bag. I feel like that's a safe example for me to use, but we don't do a Kona and neither does anybody else in Memphis that I know (laughs) of. So I hope that's a safe example, but it illustrates a principle. Yeah. And again, there's a market for it and I appreciate that fact. But nowadays, especially in the specialty world, blending coffees is a lot of fun and it's a way that people can offer a unique recipe that a customer is not going to be able to find anywhere else. So we, Jay Brooks does more single origin coffees than we do blends, but people receive both of those really well. The blends are something that we have experimented with and we found something that we really enjoy, so we like to share that with other people and thankfully other people <laughs> are glad that we share that with them. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a happy arrangement. So I hope that answers your question in terms of our job as a roaster, what some of our factors are that we have to consider, but also some of the obligations we feel as we supply our customers with with excellent coffees. Yeah, no, absolutely. That definitely answers it. Building off of that, you described the experimentation process with different varieties and different blends. Mm -hmm. What is that experimentation process look like? Are you making very small quantities Mm -hmm. of coffee at certain light or dark or Mm -hmm. medium? How how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. We do have a sample roaster, so if we're dealing with the sample roaster might do a quarter of a pound of coffee at a time, Hmm. even less. So when, when I'm getting a coffee from a new farm, a new region, whatever, then I use a little bit. What I'll do is get samples from our importers and put those in my sample roaster and if there are some things in there that I enjoy and I want to pursue then I'll order a sack of that coffee. Now that's expensive. <laughs> that's, a, that's an investment. Typically what I'll then do is run several batches of that coffee through a production roast and, uh, there, and, and what I'll do is pull samples as the temperature increases and the time moves on. I can pull samples from the drum at varying increasing roast levels or increasing temperatures. And I pull those samples out, cool them. I've got a fan and a colander, a, not a colander, but like a sieve <laughs> yeah. that we use. And we're pulling out very small amounts mm-hmm. and letting those cool. And we mark them appropriately. So out of that one production roast, I might be able to pull five, six, seven, eight samples across a long range of time and temperature. And then what we'll do is we'll cup those. We'll mm-hmm. let them rest for two days. A coffee needs time to rest after it's roasted. It's an agricultural product. It has carbon dioxide gas in it. And so that gas gets released uh, after roasting. So it, it's a process called degassing. It has to rest kind of like wine, just nowhere near as long. Yeah. And once it has had time to rest, then we grind it, we cup it. Cupping is a, a process of steeping the grounds in water and you use a what looks like a soup spoon. It's a deep, bold spoon. It's kind of funny to participate in a cupping the first few times because <laughs> you're slurping it. It makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. You get coffee on your nose. It's, it's <laughs> just, it's kind of hilarious, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and you cup those coffees and you're looking for uh, what really sings, what really jumps out at you from that cup. Mm-hmm. So out of those six or seven or eight samples or three or four samples, we might find something that that tells us, okay, we're getting closer to the sweet spot for this coffee. And then I might run another one or two production roasts, repeating that same process 
but getting my samples dialed in a little bit more specifically. And then over time, what I can do is continue to play with that coffee and make sure that this is the sweet spot that I'm looking for with that coffee. As I said earlier, coffee is a very humbling medium to work with. I don't show up at the beginning of the day and point to this coffee and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. The coffee would laugh at me. <laughs> what I do is I show up and the coffee says to me, here's what I'm prepared to do. You can cooperate with me or not. Yeah. And that's really the way it is. There are so many factors that affect roasting every single day. We have quite a range of temperature variants here in Memphis, from very hot and humid summers to very dry and fairly cool winters. Not super cold, but it does get dry <laughs> and, and cool. And all of those factors affect how the, the beans act in the roaster. And everything that we do is manually roasted. So mm -hmm. we have some software that tracks the process of that roast while it's in the machine. Basically, we have to really stay attentive to mm -hmm. every single roast because from one roast to the next roast in the same day, literally 20 minutes later, and then from one day to the next, the temperature, the humidity, all of these things will affect uh, how the beans behave in the roaster. So all of that, that's basically how we get the samples that we play with. Mm -hmm. And then it's a lot of roasting and cupping and roasting and cupping. Mm -hmm. But we have to just keep close, we have to keep good records. And it's, it's a lot of experimentation. Much like a chef will play around with varying mm -hmm. levels of ingredients, and sample and play and sample and play and sample. We do the same thing. It's just, it's a little bit more involved than just adding an extra dose of salt or a spice. Because every time I run a production roast, I'm basically roasting a, a good sized batch of coffee. So I try to narrow the field with a sample roaster first to get an idea of what the, the zone is going to be for that coffee. And then I can run some larger roasts and experiment with those in a format that they're actually going to be in when they're produced by us and packaged, shared with the public. Wow. No, I, I didn't even, um, when, when you've been saying cupping, I thought you just meant making a cup of coffee. I oh, didn't even no, know I'm it sorry. was with the, yeah. no, no, that's, this is what I'm here to find more, uh, to find out more about. I, I'm curious, once you're done with that blending and experimenting process, I'm really curious to find out the uh, naming process because you have very mm -hmm. creative names for all the blends. <laughs> it's not the traditional just like, oh, this is how this is flavored. Well, most of our blends have a spiritual component to Morning Mercy, for example, is a light roast. It's a breakfast blend. There is a, a Bible verse that says that God's mercies are new every morning. And so we like to promote the idea that every day is full of new opportunities. There's a lot to be embraced. Nobody has an easy time in life nowadays. It doesn't matter who you are. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot that screams for our attention. And there's a lot that could get us down if we let it. You know, a lot of us are, are dealing with a lot of heavy things. And nobody's immune from that. And so we wanted to choose something that we think communicates a positive idea, something that can promote happiness, it can promote friendliness, that can promote good values. And I mean good values in the sense of drawing people closer together, enhancing people's relationships, just brightening people's day. So it really is, it, that's something that we take seriously. We, you know, there's a lot of jokes about, I gotta have my coffee before I can function. <laughs> and you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, we would like for people to be able to just kind of have a smile on their face. And mm -hmm. so with Morning Mercy, the idea was, that there's, we all have a spiritual component to us, regardless of our, our perspective on religion or faith or anything else. We all have a spiritual side to us. And when you see that title, Morning Mercy, it kind of 
conveys the idea that, hey, yes, it's another morning, but maybe we'll find mercy today. Maybe we can extend mercy to somebody. Maybe we'll discover something new that'll just put a smile on our face. Mm -hmm. uh, we see this as a lot more than just producing a product. There are other things. Uh, Onyx, for example, is so named because that's one of the gemstones in the foundation, one of the foundations, uh, foundation stones of heaven, for mm -hmm. example. Uh, I like to think about heaven. I like to think about going to heaven. That's something that's positive in my life. Yeah. Um, but gemstones are beautiful, and there's a, there, you, you look at a gemstone and you think about all the different facets it has, and mm -hmm. the way light hits it, and the beauty that it can bring to our life, and that's kind of the way coffee is. There are so many facets to coffee, and there are so many different things we can do with it. So we try to kind of choose a name that can, communicates a lot of positive idea, Mm -hmm. uh, something that's going to bless people's day, something that's going to energize them and fuel their, their spirit in more ways than one. Or, or I could say fuel their spirit and their body. But that also kind of reflects some of the, the experience of coffee and what, that's, what role that's going to play in their day. So I appreciate you asking that because there's, there's a lot that goes into choosing those names. And then of course with our, our single origin coffees, we just put the name of yeah. the country on there. But we also have a little tag of some sort on the label mm -hmm. that celebrates that country. It can be something from their flag or something that's important to them in their nationality. Uh, we've got a little eagle symbol on our Colombia. Eagle is kind of a, a, an important national symbol in Colombia. Bootleg is a, is a, a blend that has no spiritual component <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, I was working late in the very early days one night I uh, was roasting out of town doing a shared service arrangement with a friend of mine who had a roaster in another state. And so I would travel, go roast on his roaster, um, and then come back to Memphis. I had a little bitty production room. I was sharing some space with somebody else. And so I was working, it was like midnight one night, and I was in this back room working by myself very late in the evening mm -hmm. with a substance that some people consider a drug <laughs> and, and I just I wasn't really thinking about all that at the time yeah. but I just thought hey I want a cup of coffee and I had never tried our dark Peru and our dark Costa mm -hmm. Costa Rica together and I just blended 50-50 and tried those two coffees and I really it was like wow I really <laughs> really like this cup and it's a it's our version of an Italian roast so it is a, a very dark roast but then I thought now what do I call this because mm -hmm. I immediately thought I've got to offer this it just really worked well and I got to thinking here I am by myself working late <laughs> at night yeah. in a back room nobody else is around <laughs> and some people think about this as a drug and I thought I should call this bootleg and there it was so yeah. anyway no, thank you. I've always, because I, um, whenever I, I see these um, coffees on the shelves, I've always sort of wondered, like, what inspired that? So I, I really appreciate <laughs> the stories about that. Yeah. That's a really, you know, cool part, I feel like, of having these local blends is that they're actually personal stories mm -hmm. and reflections. Building off that, coffee is such a part of the Memphis community. It's also just like so inherently social. Mm -hmm. You know, there's coffee houses and like coffee breaks. Mm -hmm. How does that connect with your mission here and you know, what you're doing at Jay Brooks? That's a great question. I appreciate you asking that. It, it is very personal to us and that's kind of nice. We practice what we preach. We try to buy local as much as we possibly can. And uh, people, here in Memphis also are really appreciating the local coffee scene. 
But for me, buying local is not something that somebody owes us. We don't look at the Memphis community and think, well, you owe us your business. For me, buying local raises the bar of accountability because it's a lot bigger deal when you're looking somebody in the eye like you and I are right now. Mm -hmm. When we're standing here in the shop and in, in the roastery and having a personal conversation, yeah. I can't blow smoke with people. Coffee's a very visceral product. It's a beverage that we're actually gonna be brewing up and putting in our mouth. That's a pretty personal experience. And so we take that very seriously. But in terms of, of our role in the community and how we see ourselves fitting. I've got a great team of people. I love the folks that work here. It's, it's really a blessing to work around people that you enjoy. A, a lot of people don't have such an exciting environment mm -hmm. in, in their work sphere. Uh, and that's not a problem that we have. We, we have great attitudes among our people. They're very diligent. They have fantastic integrity. And they take this very seriously. So we have a culture here that we try to promote that says, look, this is personal to us because we're serving people. And we know that we're going to impact their experience. And I'm not trying to overstate that or say, oh, we're all that. Yeah. But at the end <laughs> of the day, that's what it is. We're supplying something that someone's going to take and enjoy on a personal level. And so we that raises the bar for us. It also raises the bar, you know, we're not a thousand miles away blowing somebody off on the telephone saying, oh, well, I'm sorry, your web order wasn't filled correctly. We'll see what we can do. Mm -hmm. And then that customer never hears from us again. Yeah. Uh, instead, uh, somebody writes us or calls us and says, hey, I got ground when I ordered whole bean. We're like, you know what, Regift that and we're gonna send you a replacement today yeah. in the mail. Uh, if I don't have it roasted, it's gonna go out tomorrow. Because it is personal to us. We wanna treat other people like we would wanna be treated as consumers, because we're consumers as well. Yeah. You don't like it when you get the wrong, and, and everybody makes mistakes, but the way that you treat people really has an effect that goes beyond just that person. And so we wanna be able to spread a good vibe in Memphis. We wanna be able to give something to people that they can be proud of, that can kind of raise the bar in terms of Memphis pride. Yeah. We're in the 901, we're proud of that. We are proud of that. And we're doing some things that people are enjoying and they get excited about it and that feels good, but we wanna be able to sustain that. And so continuing the personal aspect is really what drives our company. It's kind of our heartbeat. We are very local. We've been around a while and we're not planning on going away. And we want to preserve that. We want to continue to grow, absolutely. But we don't want it to become corporate. We don't want it to become mechanical. We want to be able to maintain a vibe mm -hmm. that communicates to the customer a personal touch. So they know they're going to get personal attention. They know they've already gotten personal attention in terms of the care that's gone into to that coffee product. But at the same time, we want them to feel a level of comfort and ease and energy about having a relationship with us. We do a lot of donations to good causes. We have donated to a lot of churches and a lot of mission work, but we donate to a lot of community organizations. We'll be at an event this Friday night for Spreading Sunshine, which has a very powerful role in helping needy families that have challenges in their family with just various personal issues that come up. Yeah. We work with organizations that help disabled folks. We supply coffee uh, to some rehab groups. We do a lot with the, uh, what is, I was going to say Pink Palace, the Museum of Science and History. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we love what they're doing in Memphis and we do a lot of things with them. We've given to animal shelters that are raising money uh, to take care of abandoned or orphaned animals. Wow. Um, it just, you kind of, you name it. Uh, we get a lot of requests and we can't 
We're physically not able to respond to every request we get, but we try to. We don't have a big budget. I don't have a marketing division. We're kind of it, honestly. Uh, and I, I look forward to the day that we'll, we'll grow into that. But in the meantime, when somebody reaches out and says, hey, we've got this, this cause going on, whether it's a veteran's issue or whatever, I, just, I can't even name all the different types of groups that we've helped. And it's, we're certainly not the only people doing that, I know, but yeah. there's a, a tremendous amount of energy and momentum in a positive way that builds when there's something happening in Memphis, uh, whether it's uh, Agape Services or Hope Works or Spreading Sunshine, Gracious, just a lot of different groups that reach out and say, hey, we're doing this. That feels really good to be able to just give them some coffee that they can raffle off or they can auction off or give us a door prize or whatever. And there's just a wide variety of folks. So we, it feels good to do something that you think really is making a difference in somebody's life. The coffee is really just a vehicle to be able to spread some happy, spread some, some smiles into somebody's life. And as long as we can keep doing that, that's not the reason we exist per se. I try to be careful to just be honest about our perspective on stuff. I got into coffee in order to supply an income for my family. I'm not going to cover that up. Sure. But my, my motivation in having this company is not driven by, by making money per se. Yes, there's a business side. Of course, you have to be wise in the way that you do things. And I particularly struggle with that because <laughs> I'd like to just give it all away. You know, you've got to be disciplined about some things. But there are a lot of times where even just buying specialty grade coffee, I'm not going to compromise on that. It costs more. We pay out the wazoo for our raw <laughs> product. But that's just the way it is. If somebody sees Jay Brooks logo on a bag, they can trust that specialty grade coffee. It's never going to be anything else. That's just it. I'm not gonna cheat on that. And there are just certain aspects to our culture and to our products that people can just put in the bank. Like that's the way it is, it's the way it's always gonna be as long as, as I'm here, as long as we're having anything to do with this. And it feels good knowing that people can trust us in that uh, so that when, when they consider us and what impact we're having in the community, hopefully that is, is something that really energizes people and helps them see that we want more and more people to enjoy those coffees. But it really feels good when you know there's a lot going on behind the scenes that really encourages you to participate with us and buy the coffee as well. So that's really what's going on and it's encouraging. With Jay Brooks having really you know, expanded and grown since it was founded in 2010, how would you like to see it continue to expand, continue to get more involved in the Memphis community? You kind of think ahead. Small business is not for the faint of heart. And anybody who's listening to this who has a small business is going to groan and chuckle kind of at the, mm -hmm. simultaneously there. Uh, and so thinking about the future, is both exciting and daunting because we every day we we meet challenges and we have uh, we have big things to consider we have heavy loads to carry and things like that and I don't say that to whine about it I'm just saying it's kind of part of the process there's nowhere to hide yeah and you can't point the finger at somebody else it's like you know it's us yeah there's, there's nowhere to hide <laughs> in that but it also drives you to continue growing and continue excelling and continue giving your best because you know if you mess up or if you ever decide to, to cheat or, or drop your standards or whatever, you're gonna feel that. Yeah. Uh, and, and frankly, that's a healthy sense of accountability. If we drop our standards, people are gonna know and they're gonna know immediately. 
and and they're going to know we are responsible. There's no there's no one to blame yeah. except us. <laughs> so when you're thinking about the future, you've got to think about sustainability. How can we grow at a pace that allows us to preserve our values? And that's honestly important to me. There have been a, a few opportunities over the years where somebody with financing or somebody who has the capability has come in and said, "Hey, you know, would you like to think about this?" And as the as the conversation progresses, you realize that may not be the best choice for us right now. Or yes, we'd love to work with you, but we don't have the capacity to supply that mm-hmm. at, at that level of volume. So what we do is we try to be responsible in um, in terms of our commitments, but at the same time look for opportunities to be able to increase what we're capable of doing. So, you know, a lot of people say, are you going to open your own coffee shop? I'd love to do that. That's a big investment. Maybe a Jay Brooks coffee shop somewhere. That would be really cool. We would love that. At the same time, we want, we kind of pushing the limit in terms of our production capacity. Mm-hmm. So we would need to potentially launch a second shift roasting. We need more personnel for that. We need greater exposure beyond the Memphis area. I want to put in a plug for Memphis again. The people <laughs> here in this community is fantastic. Word of mouth has been fantastic for us. We love our customers. There's a great vibe here. Mm-hmm. And I just can't say that enough. And so we want to kind of reach out beyond the local borders. Mm-hmm. We do have a number of customers outside Memphis with coffee shops, with kiosks, with restaurants, with offices. And then we do a very robust online business with orders coming in from both coasts and all points oh, wow. in between. And so each of those are areas that we really need to, to chase down and really grow. So the near future would be seeing us really maximize our potential to reach more people in Tennessee, in the Mid-South region, and work with with new partners, retail outlets and shops and and, uh, high-end grocery folks. Um, We do a very robust business in Whole Foods and Sprouts and Fresh Market, folks like that, that we really have a lot of confidence in. Our values align in terms of quality. Those folks have fantastic people in the local stores. They really work hard. Frankly, I think they're often underappreciated. You see folks working in the grocery store, and until you've been on the backside of that in terms of seeing what they have to do to pull off making a grocery store work every day, you really have no idea how, how hard they have to work. And so we love working with those department heads and the employees and the associates that really dress our shelves up and keep them stocked. And, and we can't appreciate them enough. They work their heads off. And so really moving beyond Memphis would be a big goal for us. We look forward to needing a larger roaster and that would be on the horizon. And then just continuing to grow the wholesale side, mm-hmm. reaching out to more shops and, and more restaurants and people that Um, would buy in bulk because that's what we're set up to do. Uh, We don't currently have our own retail operation except for people stopping by to buy coffee um, that's bagged. And so there are some opportunities there that we'd really love to take a hold of, chase those things down. One thing that that I want to, since it's right at the end, if I can just add a little more. Yeah, absolutely. You showed an incredible amount of insight a while ago when you mentioned art and science oh. <laughs> and, and I wanted to capitalize since you're since you're researching food and beverage it doesn't surprise me but that puts you in a, a very small group of people because most <laughs> folks are just unaware they don't know what they don't know um, but you mentioned art and science coffee is the most complex food item on the planet in addition <laughs> to being such a large commodity and trading volume the PhDs in chemistry in the Specialty Coffee Association for years have been saying that they've identified Uh, at least 850 different 
molecular flavor compounds in coffee. Not all of those are in every single coffee bean. Coffee is, it's kind of like you've, you've got the, the coffee family and then you have species. You've got Arabica, Robusta, Liberica, and so on. And then under those species, you have subspecies. But forgive me, I don't remember. You probably know what the biological name is. But you, you have what are known as cultivars, properly known as cultivars, or some people will call them varietals. But you have these cultivars of the Arabica tree. So you have this happy blending of art and science when you see, and, and a lot of people are increasing in their awareness of those cultivars. Like you've got a Bourbon from El Salvador or from mm -hmm. Brazil. You've got a Geisha from Ethiopia or Panama. You've got a Topeka from Honduras or from Costa Rica. You've got all these cultivars. You've got varying caffeine contents in those cultivars. They each have different flavor mm -hmm. characteristics. And so that is why for example, something from Guatemala and something from Colombia can taste very different, noticeably different, but also just as beautiful. So it's not that one is better than the other, they're just very different based on, to begin with, the particular cultivar that mm -hmm. that bean comes from. And then you've got the terroir, the, the growing conditions, the soil, the weather patterns and so on that affect how that tree grows, how those beans develop, how long they're as I said, the altitude determines how long that ripening season takes. And then with specialty coffee, you've got a lot of processing. It's, a, it's an expensive product because it's very labor intensive. There's a lot that goes into processing out the defects. You've got insect damage, you've got genetic malformations, you've got disease damage, mm -hmm. you have sticks and stones and, and foreign matter and things that get pulled into the, to the crop. So there's a lot of science that goes into it. There's a lot of science that goes into roasting. We can do things with our machines now folks couldn't do 50 years ago. And that enables us to really accent or highlight various flavor notes in the beans that we couldn't do two or three or four generations ago. The art side comes in in terms of what the roaster, the roasting personnel, and even the people in the shop who have nothing to do with the roasting, uh, will typically, should participate in the cupping, or at least should be able to participate in the cupping. When we cup here, we invite everybody. It's, you stop what you're doing, come to the cupping table, because we value that input that we hear from every single one of our people. Some of our folks here don't drink coffee, and it's fine, <laughs> so they don't participate. Uh, some people have a sensitivity to the acids or the caffeine or something, or they just don't like coffee, but uh, everybody is welcome. And so that's where the art comes in. It's very valuable information to hear a wide range of opinions. And when we're cupping a coffee, our egos stay at the door. You, your pride stays outside. When we're sitting there or standing there cupping coffees, it's all bets are off. You give first impressions, the flavor notes or the, the associations that come into your mind. Like I'm getting some floral here, like this, this kind of tastes like the way jasmine smells. Mm -hmm. Or this might have a cinnamon note to it that really represent a beautiful blending of the art and the science. And so I tell people it's 100% science and 100% art. You've got to have both of those components working really at top form in order to be able to consistently produce a coffee that folks are going to enjoy. So I just wanted to accentuate that since you brought up the that's part of why I was excited to research this topic. When you are creating an artisanal product like this, it's such a high quality. It's got to be holistic. Mm. It's got to be very technical, yeah. but also very artistic. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Thank you so much. That's the end of the conversation, but not the end of the topic. 
I've just scratched the surface of this artisanal tradition and hope you feel inspired to do further research or just to look at your next cup of coffee, plate of barbecue, or slice of pizza differently. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Mid-South Menu, and I do hope to see you in the next one.